Today's episode of Blast Burn Radio was brought to you by Cutie QB, Jazz Gardener, Platinum Riley, and other listeners just like you. If you'd like to support Blast Burn Radio, you can do so over at patreon.com slash challengeacceptedmedia. You can pledge your support and start earning exclusive rewards today. Thank you. are now listening to Blast Burn Radio. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blast Burn Radio. I'm your host, Jolly by Nature, and with me, as always, are our, our Chili Willy friends, our cold storage co-hosts, Celeste and Messer Engine. Thanks for joining me today, guys. How's it going? It's too fucking cold. The whole week's been too fucking cold. Yep. Yeah, it has been extremely cold. Like, not to, to beat that dead horse. I'm sure that everyone's sick of hearing about it. You're probably sick of living it. But it was it was cold enough that I didn't go into work one day this week because my work just decided, hey, guys, we don't want to be responsible if you die. So just take the day. So that was cool. And then the next day, I went outside, like, just long enough to take my trash cans to the curb, and my mustache froze. It was crunchy. So, yeah, real fucking cold. I hope everybody stayed safe. I worked this week. A transformer blew like right next to the building. We all watched it explode and then we promptly lost power and sat in an office that was radically cooling over the course of like a two to three hour period while they were like, we're sure the power will come back on in enough time before we all die in here. (laughs) Just sit tight. I'm sure it'll be good. Because all our phones still work because they're on backup power, but nothing else was on. So, yeah, it was a good worrisome cold week. Hopefully you stayed warm, audience. Well, we've confirmed that Mess is not, in fact, a cool guy because cool guys do not, in fact, look at explosions. So good job, Messer Engine. Mm, That is true. I am kind of a square, but we all knew that already. Anyway, yeah, other than that, I guess... House is closing. Yay. 23 days and I own a house. House bought did. Yay. May. <laughs> I knew that you meant you're closing on the house, but you said the house is closing and all I could think of is <laughs> like the, the house looking at you and just shutting its doors and just anger. We're just all real tired, everyone. Celeste is so goddamn tired that her grammar is approaching, like, caveman levels, and this is going to make for some real great audio entertainment, you guys. Cave woman, damn it. Ah. <laughs> bah. Bah yourself. Bah. Bah. Celeste had to stand in the crowd of, like, a thousand people today and destroyed all their energy, so that's where my energy levels went. You went, what was it, a bear tick dip? Yep. Bear tick dip, polar dive, whatever it was. My wife was doing it for charity for the Special Olympics, which is real, real cool. It's just standing around with thousands of people watching people jump in the water is not any way I want to spend my energy. And then that many people just destroy my energy levels. 
you know, there are a lot of things that I will do for good causes, volunteer, donate money, all that. So you can't get me to jump into fucking water on the coldest week of the fucking year where it was negative 40 in some places. There's no amount of good will that can exist that will cause me to say, yes, I would like to dive in freezing, freezing cold water. And promptly curl up and die, because that's exactly what would happen. Where the fuck did you guys even do it? Was it in the Ohio River? No, no, no. So my wife is crazy. She always complains that she's cold, but she decided that she would do this with her team. But it was at frickin' Joe's Crab Shack in Newport on the Levee, where they had a giant pool, and Q102 had this whole thing set up, and it was so many people... That's different. That's very different. Normally, a polar bear dip is like in a in large a river. body yeah. of of like water, not in a big tub outside of Joe's Crab Shack. But that's where it was, and it was for charity. So whatever. Keep it weird, Cincinnati. Oh, yep. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we do those in the ocean here in this state. Let's just jump into cold water. It's a smart thing to do as a human being. Just jump into an extra large fucking lobster tank. Hyperthermia doesn't exist. It's a state of mind. No, no, it's really not. No, th- that's not medical advice. I, I'm not <laughs> liable. Podcasts aren't real. Our opening has gone so off the rails. Off the rails <laughs> for we just, we just say hi and Pokemon are great and like we lived a week and we're all over the fucking place. We're all tired. It makes for great content. Sad days in the kingdom. All right, guys. So last week we had news. And, well, we don't this week. Not not really. I tried, you guys. I really, really tried. But the only news is, is Pokemon Go news. That's fucking it. Like, I could talk to you about, like, 3DS news and Switch news. But that's not Pokemon news. The only Pokemon news is Pokemon Go news. Apparently, the universe knew how salty Messer Engine was going to be talking about Unova all fucking night and just decided to kick things off a little early. So, without further ado, Messer Engine, want to hit us with that Pokemon Go news jingle? Fuck it. <laughs> it's been that kind of a night. What do we normally do? Do, do, it's a Pokemon Go news time. I really don't know, you guys. I've been checked out since like six this morning. You're going to get your Go News and you're going to fucking like it. (laughs) (laughs) Community Uh, Day is coming. Like the British, we're going to light the lamps. We're getting the Community Day event for February over two days this month. 216 to 217. That's in February. Remember that. It's important. And it'll feature everyone's favorite fuzzy pig, swine up. All the usual community shenanigans apply. Do you even need me to list these anymore? Increased spawn rates, shiny rate time, increased lure duration, have special moves if evolved to big swine. This is really exciting because it's mammoth swine, but I don't sound really excited because I'm super tired. Stay tuned for more new. There's more of it. I can see it. <laughs> I can see it on my, my fucking list of things to talk about. It's worth noting that when they announced this Community Day, Mamoswine was not yet released. So this was a lot more exciting then than it is right now. We also saw our raid bosses rotate in Pokemon Go with Palkia debuting and taking over our five-star raid boss. Palkia will be available through 228. Again, that is February. Please remember. Finally, we saw a major patch go live for Pokemon Go. 
Starting with the more boring mechanical changes, we saw a whole slew of Pokemon gain access to new moves. These included Clefable getting Meteor Mash, Houndoom getting Flamethrower, not sure how he didn't already have that, and Suicune gaining Ice Beam, among many, many others. These moves are primarily by TM, and no older moves were retired from their movesets. We just straight got more options, which is nice. We like options. We also saw balancing changes for PvP as well as raids. Several moves had their power or energy costs adjusted, as well as health pools for Tier 3, 4, and 5 raid bosses were increased to prevent them from being soloable. So if you liked to go out and have a good time by yourself while too bad for you get some fucking friends i guess if you're into the pokemon go meta game as it were you can find the full details of these changes on self road sarah b and all the normal resources finally we saw the release of a whole slew of previously unreleased Sinnoh pokemon including several of our old favorites here on the show we got several new evolutions of course including our good old boy mamo as well as tangrowth Ambipom, Gallade, Licky Licky, and Yanmega, all of which require the Sinnoh Stone to evolve. Bet you didn't see that one coming, guys. We also got new babies hatching from eggs, including Mime Jr., Bonsley, and Happening. Lastly, Cranidos, Shieldon, Glamiao, and Combi are now spawning in the wild, so go get your Sinnoh, friends. You know, I wonder if Combi maintains its its gimmick where only females evolve and if so i wonder how many people are going to be stuck with like 10 fucking male combies and hating their lives just like in real pokemon well there's a much more satisfying resolution to this story and go because you take all those male combies and you grind them into candy for being so ridiculously <laughs> male oh fuck the poke proletariat yeah, where's our fucking old people to rob in Pokemon Go? That's what we really need. Yeah, right? <laughs> Just beat them up. Take their Sinnoh stones. I am real happy to see my boy Arnold, though. That makes me glad. All right, guys. Well, that's that's the news, as it were. Again, not much. Real sorry. Pokemon ain't doing a whole lot right now. I don't know what else to tell you. So, Series 5 is finished folks it's a wrap uh if you missed last episode you might want to go back and give it a listen before this one our show is episodic so that's normally true anyway uh but it's especially so here while we had intended for the series to go on through the univa post game the gap is substantially large enough at this point to make delaying the series to have mess and celeste replay it all to catch up just burdensome and unnecessary i am personally going to continue to stream gameplay until the start of series six and attempt to complete the entire post game within that time frame so you can look forward to that on twitch but as far as the series for for blastburn radio for this show it's it's done now we talked about our final week of gameplay last episode but now that it's completed we do want to take a little while to to look back and reflect on the series and on these games as a whole so let's start with you, Celeste. Uh, your initial impression of Pokemon Black and White was fuzzy, though positive. They were your re-entry point into the series, and you remembered enjoying them a lot, though you also didn't finish that initial playthrough. How do you feel about Pokemon Black now that you've finished your series? Eh, kind of lukewarm. It definitely was my reintro to Pokemon. If I had to give it a rating on our rating scale, I'd probably give it a B minus. I like the new Pokemon. I honestly, as much as you say the storyline, I 
need to see the post game. I'm not impressed at the moment with the storyline. Maybe the post game will change my mind, but lots of things felt random to me. And then from an options perspective, which is something that I really like in Pokemon, it was very, very physical attacker heavy going through it. And that just kind of felt bad, at least to me. So I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I want to give it a better rating, but yeah, the B minus is there. Okay, well, thanks, Celeste. Now, Messer Engine, you are up. Uh, in our series opener, you said that you had never played Pokemon Black and White before, and that you were excited for the new experience, but definitely nervous about running it as a Nuzlocke and totally blind. Uh, now, we've heard some of your thoughts pretty vocally for the last several episodes, but now that it's in the rear view, now that you are no longer staring down the barrel of future cave ninjas, how do you feel about Pokemon Black? I hated it. <laughs> it was it was awful. I don't want to give it a completely bad rap. There were things I liked about it. I'll kind of like break it down for people, I guess. Let's talk about the things that I liked about this game. It's a much shorter list compared to the things I hated about this game. But they do exist, and I would be remiss in not telling you about them. Uh, number one, the visuals in Pokemon Black were fantastic. Like, for a DS-era game... It was really amazing. And in fact, sometimes their desire to show off what they could do with it and how clever they were really made things weird. And we'll talk about that a little later. But they were pretty and they were cool and I liked them. Secondly, the seasons are awesome. I feel like they had this really great idea to incorporate the seasons, but they did not do enough with it, which was kind of disappointing. Give me a fucking Kalos-sized decks with uh, with the season set up, with a very varied, you know, seasonal Pokedex, so that I have a reason to play year-round to catch everything. Like, that that's a dream. That's, like, really cool. I don't think that they exactly nailed that here. There was, like, maybe one or two Pokemon that changed up on a given route, which was kind of disappointing. But I like the idea, and it's something I wish that they would bring back. All the Pokemon here were new. When they were good, they were really good. And when they were bad, they were really bad. The ones that really stand out, the ones that are my favorite from this region that I got to play with this time around were both visually interesting and well-designed mechanically. They're memorable for those reasons, and I really enjoyed them. As much as I bitch about them, Bianca and Charon were really good. I really liked them as rivals. I Because N served almost as an additional rival through most of the game. I just had rival burnout. They were just around all the time. I couldn't like sneeze without being like, oh shit, there's a rival right next to me, which got old. It was like a little too much to be honest, but they themselves were good. I enjoyed the fact that they were people. I enjoyed the fact that they had their own kind of journey to go on. They weren't just there to be a spoiler to you. And the fact that they grew over the course of the story. They're hands down, in my opinion, at least the best rivals we've had probably since blue or, or silver. I really like them a lot. Uh, I did like as much as I criticized the, the gym leaders for being functionally useless, though they get an A for effort, I guess. I did like the fact that the world of Unova seems to be more real because people care about it. 
the gym leaders do talk about what's going on. They do interact with the world and that makes their positions of authority seem more relevant and authentic. Those are all good things that I liked about these games. The things that I did not like about these games, part of them are just like me things. Part of them are game design things. It's, it's really a mixed bag, but they, they led to a not so great experience for me personally. The first is consistency of setting. As somebody who actively runs, you know, tabletop games fairly regularly is really interested in writing and storytelling. I found the fact that we had an evil team running around in night's fucking outfits in the most modern setting that we have in Pokemon to be very jarring. Like it broke my immersion in the setting completely, which was already being tested by the fact that this is an America, I guess. So it is America's a varied place and they wanted to hit like a lot of the highlights of where we are. Poke Texas is a great fucking example of that where you literally go from like a city across a bridge to a place with fucking Pueblos for no goddamn reason. That was really hard for me to begin with, but I understood what they were going for. Having Team Plasma with a name like Plasma, which is, seems very high tech and, you know, very, very cool, be a bunch of fucking knights with swords. I was like, what the fuck is going on all the time? Every time I saw them, I was like, why are you the bad guys? I don't get it. And then all the sages were just like old men in robes. And I was like, I still don't get it. And then there were fucking ninjas. And everybody knows how I feel about the ninjas at this point. Like, I just, it, it was too much. It was too much. They did not have a cohesive setting and I hated it. I just, I needed things to make sense and they did not. And there were no old mon in this game. And to be honest, that really mattered to me as much as the ones that were in the game. Some of them were very good and I liked them very much. I played Pokemon for all the old faces and it's just a thing like it's it does not feel like a pokemon game to me if they aren't there particularly the original like 150 there's usually a couple of them in every game at least and none of them were here i ironically have the same issue playing my temtem alpha that i have access to because that's a beautiful game that does a lot of amazing things that pokemon is not doing or not doing well and guess what I feel no connection to it because I don't know the monsters. It just doesn't make me feel good about the game. And that is not necessarily... I don't want to criticize the Pokemon Company and Game Freak for trying something different. Games have to do different things to evolve. But this particular change was not for me. It just wasn't. I didn't enjoy it. It made me sad. And it was a long series, so I was sad for a long time. Team Plasma and N in particular, as far as evil teams go, like grunts are always shitty in Pokemon games. It's whatever. But N shows up throughout the game and he is absolutely like non-threatening, like 100% until the last fight. And then he is so threatening. It's ridiculous. It's such a jarring shift, like tonal shift. And difficulty shift that it just got under my skin. Like, this is a guy I have literally kicked to the curb without a thought for the entire game. And then he is a wall. Just a giant, insurmountable wall, which makes no sense to me. 
Like, say what you will about Cyrus or Giovanni, they were always threatening to a certain extent throughout the game. Like, when you ran into them. Their difficulty ramped, but they were always, like, a boss fight. Whereas N felt like a rival battle for most of the game that was a yawn, and then it was, oh god, this is so hard, why is this so hard? I didn't like that a lot. I like when games teach you what you need to know as you go and then expect you to cope with it better as the difficulty ramps. This didn't do that. Uh, and it was not, was not fantastic. Here's a really interesting point. Having seen the end of Jolly Stream and, and supposedly being the king of these people. And that's why we have knights and all the things that make me sad in the game. If that is the case, why the fuck wasn't N dressed like a king at the end of the game? Like, that was your moment to fucking sell me on it, and you fucking failed hard. Like, god damn it, if you're gonna commit to the crazy bullshit, at least, you know, stick the landing. They didn't do that. I was very bummed to see that he didn't, he just, he wasn't the king at the end. He's literally in his own goddamn castle, and he's still dressed like fucking traveling hobo. I don't get it. I'm a broken person. It just, it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is your moment and I don't want to interject too hard, but I will just offer the counter argument, the counterpoint that I think that in his heart, there was always a part of in that wanted to be more like you. And so that's why at the very end, when he faces you, he does so as your equal. He's dressed as a Pokemon trainer because he wants to fight you on your level. Yeah, I don't see that at all. I see a guy who just kind of wanders through his life dressed like a fucking hobo who is a creeper who corners people on Ferris wheels and will always be, to me, one of the worst parts of this game. I did not like him. I saw no proof that he actually can talk to Pokemon. As far as I'm concerned, he is just a raving lunatic. And the fact that we just let him go because he has a shitty dad at the end is a fucking travesty. If he is the king of Team Plasma, who has done terrible things, manipulated or not, he deserves to stand trial with Getsis. He needs to get what he fucking deserves. And he doesn't. And it really pisses me off. Like, I get it. People have shitty lives. They have shitty childhoods. They have shitty parents. But you know what? At the end of the day, we all own our fucking decisions. Except for, and evidently, like, he's just like, hey, see ya. I'm out of here. I still got Zekrom. It's cool. I mean, granted, we're not going to get to this for several years at this point, but the same is true of Lusamine. Yeah, I think that she should have been taken to prison too. I 100% agree with you there. It does not excuse her actions. I don't care if Lily is like really super jazzed that her mom is a crazy person. Like, she should have gone to Poke Prison. But Poke <laughs> Prison does not fucking exist. You know, with... Lucamine, I guess you could say that maybe she needs like mental health care, like internment, like insanity defense because of what happened to her. But there should have still been a punishment there. When I watched the end of Jolly Stream and then it's just like, hey, I knew it in my heart all along. I'm going to go find my truth and do my thing. I was like, you're just fucking, you're just fucking letting him go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I literally turned off the stream and just walked away. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. There are some things that are like overall other thoughts that I do not feel are in the, the cons category of this game. 
but they they bear mentioning on my experience and why some of my opinions are probably the way that they are. One is that doing a Nuzlocke was not a, a great first go of this for me. And I feel like if I had not been playing a Nuzlocke, I would have enjoyed the story a little bit more. And the reason why I kind of want to point that out is the rules of the Nuzlocke forced me to hard reject the narrative. So throughout the game, you have a situation where N sees you as his equal and wants you to be the other half of the legendary hero who challenges his ideology and determines the fate of Unova, which is really like this great narrative beat. Like there's a lot of good things there that I really like, but because it's a Nuzlocke and because I cannot like utilize Reshiram under our rule set, I basically have to come to this epic moment at the end, catch the legendary Pokemon and then shove him in the bank and just say, no, I am rejecting everything about this narrative moment and everything that is supposed to make it feel epic because rules. And that feels bad. It feels really, really bad. Additionally, the fact that I spent 90% of the game like living in terror of everything because I'm playing a very visible challenge to you all who listen to this show and watch the streams and everything else and competing with two of my friends was very difficult for me. Like, because it placed undue stress and strain on something that is already normally stressful. And I didn't, I didn't care for that a whole lot. And I think if that stress hadn't been there, some of the other smaller things that just really bother me wouldn't have got under my skin as much as they had. I also had a real bad series, guys. I got really not great encounters. It was very difficult week to week for me to like actually play under the conditions that I was playing in from behind trying to catch up. And I'm not going to lie that obviously colors like my opinion and experience. I'm a human being like that's going to happen. It's obviously not like 100% the case because I hate Hoenn and I dominated that series all the way up to the last week. But it does impact the way I see it week to week when I'm going, oh my god, I've never played this game. I don't know what these Mon do. I have to do a hard mode gym and figure it out. And I have literally no context for anything. I'm proud of myself for doing uh, all of it, wipe uh, aside, but it, it still was... Pretty, pretty difficult. My final overall thought here, and I've already talked about this a bit. I felt that Unova did a good job of having a, a kind of living world. You know, I mentioned that with the gym leaders being aware and feeling more authentic because they care about what happens in their region. But I felt that it was poorly implemented and it diminished what they were trying to do. Not the gym leaders, though that is applicable, but that what Game Freak was trying to do was diminished by the fact that their implementation of this living world was not done well and not done justice. And this was the first time that they tried to do it so I can give them a certain amount of like relief, I guess, on that point. Like I'm not going to hammer them too, too hard on it. But like when we talked about the gym leaders and like the sages, they didn't feel epic to me because either the sages were useless and therefore the gym leader's contributions to helping at the end didn't matter, or they were really dangerous and therefore the gym leaders were simply naive and 
not strong-willed enough to do what needed to be done. And that makes them feel less as gym leaders. Like neither of those options feels good to me. And it was a really good example of how I feel they failed implementing that living world. It felt cheap or cheap end, which I didn't like. I think that they've done a better job with that in other games in the series, uh, particularly talking about Sun and Moon and Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon. It's not like uh, apples to apples comparison, but they've gotten better at it over the years. But overall, I, I did not enjoy this game. I hope to never play it again, if we're being 100% honest. And I don't know, you guys. I think it might bump Hoenn off of the bottom of my list of Pokemon games. I really, really didn't enjoy it. I did not have nearly this much salt in Hoenn, despite the stupid eco-terrorists who I hate very much and all the water. So yeah, I think this goes at the bottom of my all-time least favorite Pokemon game. Not not below things like Go and some of like the other you know, non-main series entries, but definitely at the, the bottom of my, my main generation games. Well, thank you, Mess. That hurts to hear, but it's an honest opinion, and thank you very much for giving it. I'm going to be incredibly interested, what, three, four months from now to see what your thoughts of Black and White 2 are. Like, I am super interested to see what you think of their second go-round of Unova. I've already started playing it, like, just on my own, like, on lunch, so I can get a better feel for it, so I'm not quite in the same position I was this time around, where everything's sight unseen, especially if we're going to be playing the fucking hard mode, which is something that we've discussed, and I, I'm only a few hours in, but I already like it better, so I, I'm hoping that that will continue to be the case. Well, good. Now, as for myself, coming in, Pokemon Black and White were my favorite entries in the series, hands down. I loved the art, I loved the music, I loved the entirely new Pokedex, and I absolutely adored the characters and the story. Now, looking back on our series, that impression remains intact, although maybe not to the degree that it was before the series, and I don't mean that as a negative, and and we'll get there, I'll clarify. But let's start with what's good and what works. From the top down, Pokemon Black and White are visually stunning games, pulling off feats of art and animation that these games have never attempted before, and in my opinion, in some instances at least, pulling them off better even than the later games in the series that have better hardware and better art capabilities. I think that in some ways, Gen 5 is kind of the height of aesthetic in Pokemon. From overworld locations such as the Sky Arrow Bridge and Castelia City itself and its towering skyscrapers, the cinematic scenes, while infrequent, were absolutely stunning. The battle screens felt fast and slick, particularly after Generation 4 and the crawling health bar of Doom. And for me personally, Generation 5's full motion sprites are the pinnacle of Pokemon models. Like, I appreciate that the series went full 3D and that it had to in order to remain relevant. But for me, personally, a substantial X factor of charm was lost in that transition for, for some Pokemon at least. And the full motion sprites just hit my personal sweet spot and, and hit it pretty firmly. 
The soundtrack of Pokemon Black and White is absolutely stunning. I genuinely cannot point to a single track that I disliked, and it ranks right up there with Gold and Silver among my series favorites. Like, the Gold and Silver soundtrack, the Diamond Pearl Platinum soundtrack, and the Black and White soundtrack are all right there at the top for me. Gold and Silver is usually at the top because of nostalgia, but realistically, they're all within like a hair's breadth of each other. They're all super fucking good. In particular, I love how dynamic the music in Pokemon Black and White is with different musicians in the world that you can actively engage to play along with the various city themes, down to the change in key and tempo of the battle music when you reach critical HP or when a boss sends out their final Pokemon. Black and White is truly among the best in the series when it comes to sound design. Now... While it's among this game's most controversial features, I really enjoy the 100% original Pokedex in these games. When I played them initially the first time, it really helped me to immerse myself in this new region and gave me a sense of exploration that I hadn't felt in Pokemon since Red and Blue. While that novelty has obviously faded over the years, these Pokemon are now as familiar to me as those original 151 are, it's still a breath of fresh air after a year and a half of Gyarados and Starmie and Alakazam to have a cast of completely fresh faces to both love and hate. I understand why you don't love it, Mess. I understand why some others don't love it, but I adore this feature personally. I think that it's fantastic, and I kind of hope that they do it again. I love that Pokemon Black and White made bugs cool. This shouldn't surprise anyone. It is my favorite type. But prior to Gen 5, we were lucky to get one genuinely good bug type in a generation. Gen 5 was the first time we got several unique and uniquely awesome bug types introduced in the same game, and none of the Gen 5 bugs are actually bad. Even Lee Vanny is pretty fantastic at the point in the game when you encounter it. Thank you, Yanova, for giving us gems like Scolipede and Galvantula and Escavalier and Durant. No matter what else, I will always love this region for that. Now, the difficulty of these games is fantastic. Everyone lauds Emerald and Platinum as the hardest Pokemon games. I played all three of those back-to-back. Emerald, Platinum, White. I disagree. Black and White are extremely challenging titles, and they deserve recognition for that. I think that they were right up there with or even past Platinum in terms of challenge. Lastly... The story and the characters remain a high watermark for me for the entire series. In and Getsis make for great and very different and dynamic villains. Bianca and Sharon are easily the best rivals we've had since at least Silver. And it's so incredibly refreshing to see gym leaders leaving their gyms and actually doing something. You know, Mess talked about the world feeling alive because people actually care about it and get out of their their gyms or their businesses and do something to protect it. And And that's very much, that's been real for me since the first time I played these games. And I absolutely love that about Unova. Now, it's not all good, so let's talk about the less good. Mechanically, these games stagnated a bit compared to earlier series when it comes to innovation. Uh, Virtually every series 
mechanic addition that came in Gen 5 was either purely aesthetic or it was a quality of life improvement, such as multi-use TMs. While these improvements are appreciated, they pale in comparison to things that were added in prior games, like the physical special splits and the EV-IV system and natures that were added in prior entries. Now, I mean, you could say that that's because, like, we we hit the sweet spot. They didn't need to change anything. But even in later games, you had the addition of a new type and mega evolutions and Z moves. And nothing in Gen 5 feels that big. It is worth noting that the largest mechanical addition of Gen 5 hidden abilities were unavailable in our series. And that certainly contributed to it feeling that way. But it's difficult to feel like Gen 5 contributed as much to the series as the entries before it or even the entries after it. I do at times feel some of the frustration with the characters that Mess has been so incredibly vocal about. And I, I think I understand why. I think I've hit that nail on the head. While again, tropes like letting the bad guys get away or sending the child after the demigods, uh, are omnipresent in Pokemon. They're in every title. None of the adult leadership figures in prior entries are present. They do nothing. They're not there. So it feels less egregious when they allow these things to happen. While it's an overwhelmingly positive thing that adults like the gym leaders and the professors and the champion are so engaged, it does make it more infuriating when they fail to intervene. So good job, Game Freak. You character developed yourself right into glaring plot inconsistencies. Do you feel like there's any truth there, Mess, or am I just talking out of my butthole? No, I think that there is. Realistically, when you're playing through red and blue or gold and silver, you're the only character with agency, right? You're the only person doing anything unless you want to count your rival as having agency. They do things. But as a result, it feels like you're supposed to be the one doing all this stuff or that you're the only one who either notices or cares or does those things. That's not the case in Unova. It's very clear that the gym leaders care about what happens in their region and they're active, right? They go out and they do things. They just don't seem to accomplish anything when they do it, which again, just kind of makes them feel incompetent. And I, I think that you, you definitely hit upon something there. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I think that there there is definitely truth to that. Okay, well, good, good. At least it makes sense. <laughs> now, the Unova region, while home to fantastic characters and interesting Pokemon and locales, it doesn't feel as cohesive or generally strong as other regions in the series. Pokemon Black and White may be my favorite games, but Unova is far from my favorite region, which seems like inconsistent, but it's just really not. And I don't know a better way to explain it than that, honestly. I will say, and this is less a criticism of these games and more just a shifting of my own perspective, they feel less groundbreaking immediately after playing Platinum. When I played Black and White initially, I hadn't played Pokemon in about, what, five to seven years, and the last game that I had played was Leaf Green. As such, Pokemon Black in that context felt absolutely groundbreaking. Now that we're playing them in order and back-to-back, while there are substantial improvements in presentation over Gen 4, they aren't as extreme or dynamic as I was subconsciously giving this generation credit for. Black and White remains my favorite, but it's by a significantly narrower margin than I expected. This isn't due to my opinion of Gen 5 falling, however, honestly, it's just praise for those other games. 
So overall, looking at my personal scoreboard, we currently have generations two and four approximately tied for first with an A rating, Emerald in third with a B plus, and Red in fourth with a B. Pokemon White is, was, and remains my favorite Pokemon game. From its exceptional score, campaign, and Pokedex, with all of these factors, I give it an A plus rating. Anything less would not be true to my heart. So top down, my personal leaderboard is Pokemon White at the top, Platinum in second, Silver in third, Emerald in fourth, and Pokemon Red bringing up the rear. No one is surprised by <laughs> by by either of our placements of this game. I think. Yep. Yep. We're very different people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very true, and it's totally fine. It's it's just funny. I, there's there are so many things that that I that really bother me about black and white that don't really bother you at all, and it's it's really just things that are differences of opinion and, and difference of differences and preferences. I think a lot of it's actually difference in just like weight, because like, I think we agree on a lot of the things that, that black and white do right. And a lot of the things that they do wrong, it's just how much weight each of those things carry for each of us. Yeah, that's, that's fair. All right, guys. So as we have with previous game series, let's take a few minutes to look back and reflect on the four months that we have spent exploring Unova in Pokemon Black and White. We earned eight badges, made friends, lost friends, learned and, and grew together before stopping evil villains or more frequently perishing in the attempt. Let's take a few minutes to revisit those teams and the journeys that we all took together. Uh, Mess, let's start with you, buddy. Now that it's over, how do you feel about your Pokemon Black series? I mean, as much as I was critical about the games themselves, I feel like my series was fine. It was good. One of the biggest criticisms, I think, that hasn't necessarily been levied at me, but has been generally talked about, is that I'm a real chill person. Like, I tend to take things easy. I build up a buffer lead and then I cruise through easy gyms and pick up points in PvP and it's just enough to keep me in the lead and and running at the front and then I use that to secure victories. I haven't, at least up to this point, had to play from behind. I hadn't had to commit to hard mode gyms. It just, it was, eh, if I feel like it. But I don't have to really put myself in danger. And this was very much not that series. I lost my starter in week one. And so many Nuzlocks, <laughs> the fate of so many Nuzlocks are determined often by a loss of a starter. Just the, your starter is a good all around Pokemon with a typing that you don't always see immediately. Otherwise, that has decent stats and can carry you through like the early to mid game. And I didn't have that from the go. A fucking bide cat took it from me in the most obscure fucking way possible. And as a result, I started from behind and spent the whole of the series playing from behind. I had to do hard mode gyms every week. And I did seven out of eight gyms on hard. Having never played the games, having never used these Pokemon, having never done the gym battles, and without the benefit of research. I'm pretty damn fucking proud of myself. Because 
that was hard and it was stressful. Like I may be salty on the podcast talking about the story or whatever, but every week I stressed pretty hard coming into the week, just knowing that I had to do it just to keep pace. Like if there was any chance that I was going to pull myself up at last, like I had to get it done. And then to add insult to injury, like I just was not getting encounters that were, were decent. Like in a Nuzlocke, you, you almost never get ideal encounters, but when you're playing a series, when your two opponents are getting like ideal natured Pokemon, or at least like non hindering, natured Pokemon and you are getting like hindering Pokemon with IVs under five in almost every stat. It sucks. (laughs) Like it is not great, but somehow I still managed to turn that into victories throughout the game. And while I, I definitely wiped at the end, I do feel like if I hadn't lost Toadsworth when I did to that curse, I might have been able to finish it up, which we'll never know now, but at least I, I feel good about the fact that I, I brought in a decent team to handle things. If I had known a little more about what to expect, I probably would not have brought Yetta with me at the end. But all in all, I, I can't be upset with my play performance. And, you know, I'm, I met some good new friends and I like them an awful lot. And overall, I think it was good. Well, good. Now, Mess, out of all the Pokemon friends that you made and lost over the course of your series, who was the most instrumental to your successes? Who was your MVP for your Series 5 run? I gotta give it to Whimsicott. I gotta give it to Fluffy B. I I think that there's an argument to be made for DK as well, but Fluffy B was a Pokemon that I needed desperately when... I picked it up and I had no idea how much work it was going to put in every week. And I know that there are going to be people who listen to this and go, but you didn't like always use him on gym fights, but he was critical when he needed to be critical. Like he was there when I needed him to be there. He put in work when I needed him to put in work. And he was pretty much always on the squad, at least in the eight that I took to PVP throughout the week every single week of the series after I got him, his battle against Marshall alone would warrant him consideration, even if he didn't do anything else because he soloed Marshall and lived on like three HP, eight HP and still managed to come out of it. At the end, he allowed me to do hard mode clay, which could have gone better for me admittedly, but that wasn't his fault. Like he, he put in the work. He did what he needed to do. Yeah, Whimsicott ended up being real good for me. I love Fluffy B. Fluffy B's on my new Elite Four team for the BBR Pokemon League. Uh, no complaints about that good grass boy. Who was your most surprising success? Who did way better than you ever initially expected? I think that can actually go to DK. Like, when I picked up that Daramaka, he was speed down. And... Having experience with fire Pokemon who hit really hard, but who are slow and are speed down, it wasn't fantastic. Ares was a good chicken boy, but he didn't put in a whole lot of work because he just never got to hit anybody. Add in the fact that the same week you both got Darumaka and one of them was like fucking jolly natured, punch it up. And like the other one was non-hindering and mine was hindering, like... I didn't expect to really ever pull it out of the bank and use it. And just the way the chips fell, I ended up having to do that. And like DK definitely 
helped us get through gyms, helped us get through challenges, was fantastic in PvP. All around, I did not expect much out of that little fire monkey when I got him, but he he put in some fucking work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No arguments there. Now, who was your biggest disappointment? Uh, who were you expecting to contribute that failed to live up to the hype? Oh, poor Pigma. <laughs> I really, really wanted to run an M4, and I just didn't get to. And it's it's hard to lay that on my poor Tepig, right? Like, the assist to pick up fucking Bide and put myself in a, put, put me in a bad situation wasn't Tepig's fault, you know? But it's really sucky to start a game that you've never played before with a new set of starters that you've never used and say, I'm going to use this really cool, like, fucking fire pig who just hits things hard and has a lot of HP and takes takes some hits. It's not very defense-worthy, but, like, hurts itself while fighting. That sounded fun to me, and I just didn't get to do it. And that was a huge bummer. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think honorable mention for that category has to go to Slippy Toad, though. Fucking Slippy Toad. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody told me the week that I caught him, and I was like, oh, look, a cute little tadpole. And I was like, I'm going to name this Slippy. And I don't remember if it was Celeste or someone else, but she's like, you just cursed that fucking Pokemon to complete and total, like, uselessness. Because that is Slippy's fucking legacy. And it was so true. <laughs> As a Tim Pole, it was useless. As a Palpatode, it was useless. It was so bad that it never became a Seismitoad because I was like, you live in the fucking box now. <laughs> you will never come out of here. I keep wanting to go and find if someone, I'm sure someone has because it's the internet, but I want to find a patch for my GPS app to make it talk like Slippy Toad. <laughs> Now, you had quite a few deaths on this series, Messer Engine, more than you are accustomed to, I feel pretty comfortable saying. Although still not, I think, a truly disgusting amount for where you started and where you finished up. But which death was the hardest? Which one was the worst to deal with? This is really a toss-up for me, and it's probably not any of the the mon that you guys are going to suspect like, obviously, I wiped, so all my favorite boys died, right? But the mod I'm going to give this to is not any of the ones in that group. It goes to Falco, my little Arkin, who I was super jazzed to use. And just the way things went down with Clay, switching it in was my best move in the hopes of getting, like, a resist off on, like, a normal hit so that I could... You know, just finish off this Excadrill and it fucking crit. Like it just fucking crit and that happens, but I did not get to use that sweet, sweet, colorful rock bird. And that was bad. The honorable mention here goes to Wiggler, who also died that same week. I got my Scolipede and he died because I was an idiot and forgot to change up a move because I told myself, If Wiggler comes out in this fight, you've already lost. And that was nearly true because I'm a dumb shit. So that felt bad. But losing Arkin after literally EV training him for three hours. Like I EV trained him for three hours, went to a gym fight, and he was dead five minutes later. That felt terrible. Yeah, that was that was a real rough week for you. Like that one that one hurt me. So I know that that was real bad for you. 
Now, as with previous series, I do want us to give our thoughts on each other's teams as well. Uh, so let's start with you, Celeste. Who do you think the MVP of Mess's team was, and why do you think that? Well, there's a couple that I could say. In PvE and PvE, there's different weights. But honestly, for the biggest impact throughout PvP, I'd have to say Ezlo. That sweet bird. Sweet crit bird. So many crits. You stole my crit bird this season. Yeah, Ezlo was was certainly significantly better than I think Aswana has any goddamn right to be. I actually I have to agree with you, Mess. I think that Fluffy B was hands down your MVP. He wasn't always the most impactful week to week. That would almost definitely be DK. But Fluffy B was the most impactful in the moments when you absolutely 1000% needed him to be over and over and over again. That was true in gameplay. Again, it was true in Clay's fight. It was true in Marshall's fight. It was true in PvP a couple of times. I think the first win you got in PvP on the season was on the back of Fluffy B. Yeah, he fucking fought a Garbodor to death. Yeah, yeah. Again, not always the most impactful, but hands down the most impactful in the most important moments. So a very deserved pick. That's fair. Uh, sweet, sweet cotton, cotton boy. I'll go ahead and go next. And as for, for myself and, and my series, obviously, I'm not in a position where I can really complain. Like, this series was really gratifying after having reasonably two in a row that were were real like uphill slogs for me uh you know series three was just a struggle every single week it seemed like something was going wrong and series four wasn't really it just had a couple of moments that went so bad that the whole thing went sideways but we've been playing from behind for a long long time and so finally getting to that point where where it was clicking, where it was rolling on all cylinders, like felt really good and really gratifying. Uh, I think that I needed that. I think that the team Jolly really needed that. I know that I've had multiple people express, oh, it's getting real hard to keep cheering for you, Jolly. Well, I hope you're happy now, fuckers. Look at us now. <laughs> we did it. We did the thing. But yeah, it was, it was a good series. Obviously, it was really nice in a game that is one of my favorite games to be able to just slow down and enjoy it a little bit, to not have to stress going into gameplay every week and be able to go, you know what, I'm just going to play the game and enjoy the game for what it is. And I can easy mode the gems and be confident that I can keep things going in PvP and then be able to execute on that. I got to be Messer Engine this time around and that felt really fucking nice. And I'm glad that it happened. I love the team that we used. Some of these Mon and even some of the ones that were really impactful and that I loved using the most, I've never used in, in a playthrough before because the Gen 5 Pokedex is so big and like... I've never used Galvantula in a playthrough before because I've almost always had a different bug already on the team. Yeah. Love the team. Love my starter. Love our run. It was all, it was all golden. Well, good. It sounds like a very positive series. <laughs> Seriously though, who was best boy? I need to know. I need to know. I mean, there's a couple of names that have to be mentioned here, right? Because of their impact on the squad, either immediate or down the road. Our, our Sigilif was really, really important when we caught it. 
Obviously, that was in the heyday of Powerhouse the Sock when, when nothing else could exist. And so getting a counter to that thing was really, really important in that moment. You know, we had other Mon that were really, really good for the course of the series. Zoloft, our, our Cafagragus. I've never used Cafagragus before in a playthrough. And, and Zoloft, I think, was quietly one of the best Mon on the squad. Like, never really put in a Gangbusters performance, but was always just real good and never left the team for any amount of time. But, I think it comes down to really two Mon, which are Allegra, our Lilligant, and Kepra, our Galvantula, both of whom were, were utterly fantastic and put in a lot of work in different parts of the series. I think for me, it has to go to Kepra, just because Kepra was so dominating. And it, it was dominating in every aspect of gameplay. Being able to lead with a fast offensive electric type who can volt switch out is is so good it's so good and the the ai is just not equipped to deal with that in most circumstances and then it was so dominating in gameplay particularly when for most of the series everyone's best option to immune it out with a ground type move was also dark and thus immune to bug kepra was just utterly dominant and was easily my favorite mon to use and i think that's what ultimately gives her the nod over allegra yeah, that's fair. Kepra was a real problem for me. <laughs> I can tell you that. Did not like. Would not do again. Um, <laughs> who was your surprise standout? So as far as a surprise standout is concerned, I actually, I think I need to go back and I think I need to give that to, to Zoloft, our Cofagragus. Like I knew how good Cofagragus was, but it's one thing to know it mentally and it's another thing to use it. And just having that fat defensive wall with Will-O-Wisp was so good week in and week out. It let me neutralize a lot of things. Even, even when it got to a point where the Darmanitans were just running wild on everyone's team every week, being able to switch into something that could take the hit reasonably well, make you do a ton of recoil damage to yourself and take away your sheer force in a single blow had value. Again, Zoloft never lost value throughout the entire series, and I was real glad to use him. Yeah, I mean, I obviously had no experience with any of these Mon coming in, so it was a real learning curve week to week for me in, in PvP, and I did not know what to expect of the Cafagragus, and both you and Celeste had one, and it was just a nightmare to have to fight through, especially early in the game when a lot of your options are normal. Not fantastic, but really glad that it was really good for you. Who wasn't so good for you? Who was the biggest disappointment? Well, most of the Mon that I actually used weren't super disappointing. <laughs> Obviously, there's the Box of Shame. You know what you did. I would actually have to, and this hurts my heart because this is one of the Mon that I picked white version for the chance to use, but I think that I have to give that to Seraquel, our Reuniclus, but with, with the asterisk that it's not her fault, she didn't have really any of the tools that she needed to be successful in this series as a mono psychic type with a bad hidden power typing with without access to the TMs to give her good coverage and without access to the, the tools that make her a really great threat, like life orb with magic guard, couldn't get a life orb without doing the battle subway. She's great with calm mind. Couldn't get the calm mind TM. She's great with trick room. Couldn't get the trick room TM. She could have been so good if she had any of the tools she needed, but she didn't. And that certainly colored my final impression. No, that makes sense. It's kind of a bummer, too, because I really would have liked to see Reuniclus put in some work. 
the series. I remember when you picked white and you were so excited for it. And I was like, what is this cell baby? I don't, <laughs> I don't even understand what this does. I think it's also particularly uh, difficult that it appears in this generation where dark types in particular are very prevalent and dangerous. Being monopsychic doesn't do you any favors when you got fucking Crocorocks and Scrafties and Bisharps and everything else running amok. But yeah, either way, that, that makes sense. You didn't have as many deaths as the rest of us. Who, who, which one hurt your heart in your heart of hearts? I mean, it was, it was Kepra. It, it was absolutely Kepra. Kepra wasn't, I don't think, the hardest from a gameplay perspective to recover from, but it just hurt. It hurt so much that that, that stupid fucking BHM lived on one health and just crit murdered my sweet, sweet bug friend. I, I love you, Kepra. I'm sorry. I'm real sorry. I, the week that happened was right there at the end and, I had just made team changes that week to deal with the bug and then it wasn't around anymore. And I was actually pretty PO'd about that. <laughs> yeah, it was that, that one was real rough. And, and again, in hindsight, yes, I could have easily volt switched out and gone into a different mod, but I don't feel like I made a bad decision. It just, the gods demanded their blood, man. It happens. Yeah, that. Beham was really dangerous too. Like it doesn't look like it. I think if you go back and look at the stream footage uh, for that week, all of us were just kind of like, eh, and it did some serious damage and or killed something for all of us. Celeste, who do you think was uh, the MVP of Jolly's team? Who did you hate facing week to week? That's a hard call because it kind of changed week to week for me. Honestly, it's hard to call for who I hated to face. I hated facing the Sidralif. I hated facing Kepra. And I was honestly very wary of the uh, freaking Reuniclus every freaking week. But honestly, for Jolly, hmm, his MVP, I would have to say that freaking Lilligren, that Allegra, just always wrecked through us and was so solid in gameplay. Yeah, I I actually have to agree with you there too. The the fact that it could put things to sleep and it had quiver dance made it at any given time one of the most threatening things available to Jolly in PvP and in addition Jolly man, this is the point of it, but you you definitely abused sleep powder and quiver dance to to great effectiveness through the series. And I think, I don't think it would have made a difference necessarily in you getting all the way to the end, but I think that Allegra helped a heck of a lot in the, the E4 Mm -hmm. when you were going through. Oh yeah. No question. I mean, being able to remove Getsis's Hydrogen by itself is, is so enormous. That thing has coverage and attack stats for days. Yep. We both give it, give it to the grass. Yeah, that's fair. It was only by a hair's breadth that I did not. <laughs> the fact that neither of us could get anything with sleep powder helped it too. At least I don't think we got anything that could get sleep powder because I know Fluffy B couldn't get it. No, just stun spore. Yeah, that made me very sad. <laughs> but uh, that's a uh, that's jolly series. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so, so how about you, Celeste? Now that you're on the other side of it, how do you feel about your Pokemon Black series? So, I'm really tired, and my uh, summary was pretty bad, so I'm going to go into the more detail here on things on my series and my retrospective. My first mistake, it probably wouldn't have been that big of a mistake, was my signature Pokemon. Just the way the cards fell, it's not Wedge's fault that he came in so late, but it made it really suck. Because not only did he come in late, but he was also just, his IVs weren't that great. He had a neutral nature. Thankfully, it was neutral. But he, just having to take him every week to PvP and having to bring him to the gyms, it just felt more like a shackle than a useful Pokemon. He ended up saving a run with the Elite Four, though, so I'll go into that more. But yeah, I kind of wish I would have picked a different signature Pokemon, to be honest. And... Honestly, this colors a lot. I got some amazing Pokemon this run. Like, I had phenomenal luck this series, and I'm not going to say I didn't. Um, it was kind of my run to lose. And the problem is, is I overthought things a lot. Played really, really defensively. Played really, really offensively defensively, which is kind of an oxymoron. But I went in with Belly Drum to protect Pokemon because I figured, you know what? If Magma dies here... <laughs> At least I'm making a big dent before anything else dies because I have no idea what's going on. And she's fast and she hits hard. So at least there'll be a big dent in the thing before I have to go through other plans. And every time I did that belly drum plan, I had other backup plans ready to go as soon as things died. Now, the thing is, of my personality and the amount of good Pokemon that I had, I felt like I had to bring them all. And so I think I left a lot of things in the box that I shouldn't have of. And a lot of things didn't get played or used a lot. Like my starter didn't get brought along a lot. And my starter was awesome at the end. I should have used my starter more. I just, it wasn't EV trained and I just felt like it couldn't be brought because it wasn't one of those top tier Pokemon. But the thing is, is I shouldn't have been looking just at stats because Pokemon is only, it's like only 50% stats. Everything else is broad. It's luck. It's strategy. It's figuring things out. This series I played really bad, and I deserved that loss at the end. Like, Mesur Engine had a lot of really bad luck, but I just played bad this series. So I deserve that doofat because, holy crap, the die, it was my, it was my series to lose. And I'm hope I'm not rambling, but that's kind of how I feel of all this. I need to get you a t-shirt that has a Darmanitan on it and it just says YOLO at the fucking bottom. <laughs> that Darmanitan was so useful throughout the entire series to just let me roll through things that I was scared of. Just a beatnik Darmanitan with fucking bongo drums and sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just need to learn to calm down and just accept things that'll happen because I feel like that colored my series a lot as I didn't know what was going on. So I was always getting into my head and just allowing things to happen. I didn't lose that many Pokemon because of that. But man, was the Elite Four and the frickin' Victory Road such a struggle for me because I was so scared of it. And instead, I should have just gone in, planned my best, played my best, and it probably would have gone much differently. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's that's my series, honestly. All right, Celeste. Well, who was the MVP of your team? Who do you think carried the most weight in your wins? Ah, uh, YOLO. YOLO Daramaka, Daramanitan, Magma. Very threatening PvP. You guys always had to play for it because of how fast it was. And it ran over so many gems for me. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any real surprise there. You leaned into magma really, really hard. And I mean, it paid off for you. The dice roll never came up bad. So can't really criticize it if it works. Who was the most surprising standout on your team? Who were you not necessarily expecting to do real well? Who exceeded those expectations? I'm going to say my Hurtier. So again, I just spent a few minutes shitting on it. And I don't mean to shit on it. The reason why I picked it, it's one of my favorite Pokemon from Gen 5. I think it's absolutely adorable through all of its stages. I just, it, it came in too late for me. But that freaking clutch moment versus that Ghost Elite 4 where he managed to paralyze that freaking fire ghost and save the entire run before he got murdered was just so clutch. Yeah, yeah, he definitely came in good for you there. And again, not to not to disagree with you too heavily about your own team, Celeste, but I don't think you're necessarily giving Wedge his full due for how valuable it was to have a Mon who has great coverage and has Intimidate and status on your squad every week. Like, we knew he was coming, and by the stats, by the numbers, yes, not the most threatening option to put on your roster, but he brought you a lot of utility. This is true. His typing just made him easy to play around. All that fighting. <laughs> who was who was your biggest disappointment? Who were you expecting big things from that never really paid off? Ooh, that's that's a hard question, actually. And honestly, I picked Black because I really like the Gothita line, and I really was hoping to have a good special attacker. Yoik's never really paid off for me. Throughout, when I used the freaking Eviolite to have a bulky unevolved gothita and it's fully evolved form it just i don't know it was just a struggle to use it every week yeah again gen 5 is just not the the friendliest to psychic types in general uh both of those lines both the, the gothitel line and the reuniclus line definitely have their positives but i don't think that our series was necessarily the correct venue to show those off to best benefit and that showed i think in in both of our series mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta agree. I had a pretty good Gotharita early, but it evolves late and it was constantly threatened by just dark type Pokemon or dark type coverage on powerful Pokemon. I could never find a good time to use it. So it always stayed in my box. Mm-hmm. Who was the hardest death for you, Celeste? Which one hurt the most? Well, the obvious choices would be my two fire Pokemon in Victory Road, but it's honestly not. It was in that Dragon Gem, losing my Scraggy Lith to that Drudgeon. It was either a revenge or a counter. I was not expecting it, and it just didn't get killed fast enough and murdered my poor little Scraggy that would have probably made, or not, Scrafty, sorry, but would have probably made a huge difference in the Elite Four if I had it. Yeah, Scrafty put in fucking work for me in the Elite Four. It just got a good typing for the way that it's set up. Mm-hmm. And losing it there just hurt a lot. Team building, and I really like the Scrafty line. Yeah, Scrafty's a good, good mod. Mess buddy, who is your pick for the MVP of Celeste's team? I gotta give it to, to fucking YOLO. <laughs> YOLO monkey. <laughs> fucking magma. I mean, every week, I could not even believe the fact that it was just just YOLO and go. Just, just fucking YOLO and go. I kept waiting for the week that that was going to go terrible and just wreck a significant portion of celeste's team because it just didn't happen it just never happened and magma was always a threat in pvp too like celeste had a really hard time in pvp this season overall but 
it wasn't because magma wasn't fucking deadly. That jolly natured killer monkey was very, very frightening. Yes. I mean, you're, you are objectively correct. Magma is objectively Celeste's MVP. I'm gonna, with that being said, I'm going to differ just for the sake of variety, but I mean, yes, Magma was the best. Uh, but, 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 but I'm gonna give it to Powerhouse just because while he didn't spend a large chunk of the series on your team, Celeste, in the early game when you first caught him, he was utterly dominant. No one had anything to stop him, and that let you run wild for, what, two, three weeks before we, we actually were able to counter him? And then the flip side of that is at the very, very end, when you brought him out of the bank for the Elite Four, you leaned into him hard in multiple of those fights, and he paid off for you. If nothing else the fact that he was sturdy and could hit back hard once was extremely invaluable to you in making it as far as you did in that final gauntlet so i think powerhouse definitely deserves a shot no i completely agree powerhouse was really huge for me in the early game getting that early fighting type that just had a high attack and not only that sturdy so even if you did bring a flying pokemon you had to hit him twice to kill him yeah i mean realistically that that's valid i think powerhouse Powerhouse put me in my place for the beginning of the game when I was really hoping to kind of get into a more middling position to set up the rest of the run, and I just couldn't. I had nothing to kill it. It was faster than me, and it one-shot every, like, single one of my Pokemon. It was bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, again, I was able to counter it fairly quickly because I caught the Sigilyph. That was not the case for you, Mess. You were stuck staring at that fucking fighty boy for roughly half the series going what do i do to this thing yeah i didn't even catch a ghost either like i caught nothing to deal with it it was just it kicks me and i die that was that was my strategy for dealing with powerhouse send something out kicks dies repeat (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) well thankfully i did not do that great in pvp after he kind of died off though uh all right guys well that's series five that's it it done this it but that being said, this was the the single bloodiest week in Blastburn Radio history. So, of course, we have some friends to say goodbye to. We'll now take probably quite a few moments to thank those sweet, sweet children who didn't make it out the other side. To, to Zarelto, our seismitoad, you were a last-minute addition. You were a Hail Mary play. And at the end of the day... You didn't give us much, but you gave us what we needed in a very hard moment. Thank you. To Max Trex, our Durant, you were, you were my second chance franchise tag, and you were so fucking good. You were incredible. I didn't get to use you for very long, but you were so extremely good. And, When we were in a bad position where something had to go down, you took the hit and you took it unflinching and you secured the win. Thanks, buddy. You lived up to the hype. To Lasix, my sweet baby starter, my Samurai. You got some haxy bullshit. You didn't deserve that. And I gotta say, I've got mixed feelings on starters as a whole throughout this entire series. Like, they tend to overall, by the end, underperform. 
I think you're probably the best starter I've ever used. You had good coverage. You had stab priority. You were consistently useful. I genuinely enjoyed having you around, and I was very sad to lose you. Rest well, buddy. To Kepra, our Galvantula. You were a monster. I'm so happy that I got to use you, and I'm so happy I got to get to know you. You also bit the big one because of hacks. That just happens sometimes. But thank you for everything you did. And rest well. We did it. You took us there. <sighs> I got a lot of dead, you guys. I'm going to say some, some pointed goodbyes to a few people and then uh, a collective farewell to the remainder. To Fluffy B, my MVP, my good grass boy, Lord of Cotton. You were real good. I like grass types quite a bit. And I'm always sad because I don't usually get to, to use them to really great effect. Just because they're not the best typing in the world. But you did real good. Prankster was real fantastic. You fought a trash bag in a fight to the death and somehow won. I still don't know how you fucking pulled that off. You were amazing. You did so many good things. <laughs> Every week you were the first person to level cap because you were always the one bailing the rest of the team out in a bad situation. You could come in, you could take a hit, you could leech seed, you could giga drain. You were real good. And what's amazing is you were real good despite the fact that we lost stun spore like two weeks into you becoming a whimsicott and then we're unable to get it back. You were incredible and you will forever be remembered on my E4 team. Just incredible. To DK, you were the leader of the bunch, my friend. I can't say he's finally back, because he's in the grave. But you were really good. You were arguably statistically the worst of the Dharamakas that were picked up in, like, what was it, week four or so? But you did... Absolutely incredible things. Even though Magma for Celeste arguably put more points on the board for her than, than you did for me, my situation was much more dire than Celeste's and my stable was much, much worse. So the fact that you put in the amount of work that you did and, and put in all that, that work and those good points, for us is absolutely incredible. You are a standout Gen 5 Pokemon, and I will never forget you. Thank you for all the work that you put in, particularly when you killed all the Durgans, because that was real scary. But you were just faster, and better, and stronger, too. The Toadsworth, my sweet Pringles boy. You were my franchise tag, and I didn't get you till nearly the end of the game, but I leaned into you hard for a lot of things, and it was real, real good. You were real good. The fact that you died to fucking curse is a travesty. I wasn't really sure up until the last second if that curse was going to take you or not. And it did, and it really sucked. And I think if you had stuck with us... We could have walled Caracosta and ridden that train to victory, but 
It just wasn't to be. I'm sorry that you died in an unfortunate situation against a fucking Golette, of all things. But you didn't die alone, I guess, so there's that. I'm sorry that you didn't get to to see the end, and I'm sorry I didn't pick you up till late. Fuck the surf, HM. Goddamn, I hate HMs. Your mustache will be remembered, my friend. And the last shout-out I want to give is to Ezlo, who also died in this week of gameplay because rocks. All my flying mon die because rocks. Particularly critical hit rock slides. Every goddamn time. I'm sorry that you kicked it, buddy. You were real fragile. Of all the deaths this week, you were the one that was most on me. I, for some reason, in my stupid, stupid head, thought that you could still outspeed that Conkelder and just demolish him, and that was not the case. I should have switched immediately into my ghost, and I did not. You were real good for us, real great for us in PvP. Hashtag Bestwana. Your crits were incredible, and you will be missed. You are one of my favorite flying types. To everybody else, most of you weren't with me long enough for me to get to know you. That's kind of a bummer. We were going to have 25 levels of grinding to, to get all chummy, and that didn't happen. But it doesn't mean that your deaths were not meaningful, and that I'm not bummed that you are gone. Particularly Yetta, and your great fucking icicle beard. But, Godspeed, friends. We didn't make it to the end, but you certainly gave it all to try and get us there. <sighs> Where to start? There's lots of dead. Let's just go down the line of my list. So, there's my starter, Python. I didn't use you as much as I should have. Honestly, that's my own fault. But, holy crap, at the end you put in some work. And you pulled out some wins that honestly should not have happened. Due to some luck, due to some how good your setup was and how you could resist things and have leech seed going. And it just worked out to where you were just wrecking at the end. And then Akon Keldor just decided to hammer arm you to death. And it just, yeah, it was a shitty death. But in probability, it was just going to happen. I'm real sorry. To Wedge. You were a good, good doggo. I know I crap on you way too much this series, but you didn't deserve the death you got. You came out like, shit, that thing's on fire and it's going to kill me. I'm going to paralyze it and then die just so, so my owner can keep going. And that's exactly what happened. You sacrificed yourself so the team could keep moving and I can't thank you enough. To Tinker, my uh, freaking Excadrill. Your death was completely my fault. I did not expect a focus blast. That really sucked. It kind of colored the entire battle after that. You got ran over by that freaking cell Pokemon, and then the entire team just kind of got ran over and fell apart. And that's when the Elite Four just started falling apart. We got through the first two just fine. The Psychic user just kind of stalled us big time. To the point where we ended up with only two Pokemon versus the freaking fighting gym. Uh, to Sock, you were an amazing Pokemon throughout the entire series. And you pulled your weight at the Elite Four. I'm sorry we didn't make it all the way through. Two hacks, my Axew. 
you were an interesting Pokemon to get. The first few battles, real battles that you saw, it kind of just got bad really quickly. You're not the sturdiest Pokemon, and I made some big mistakes when I threw you out, and it just kind of didn't pay off and got you murdered really quickly, and yeah. To pure my freaking Swana dying to a Audino that somehow knew freaking takedown. That that was sad. I should have paid more attention. I'm laughing. That is the level of performance that I would typically expect from a Swana. <laughs> it just kind of happened. I'm laughing, but it was a very sad moment because you were very important for the Elite Four and it just kind of didn't work out. If I had you, that freaking ghost fire Chandler would not have murdered us as much as it did at the beginning. Everyone else that died, I'm sorry as well. I'm going to leave it at that. All right, guys. So that was our week in gameplay, our last week in gameplay for this series, and our look back on the series itself. But as always, we're not the only ones playing. Uh, we did hear from a couple of you guys this week. In the interest of time, I think we're just going to kind of run through those emails real, real quick. So I apologize that we're not reading them all verbatim, but... Yeah, we got, we got to get our stuff in, guys. So this week we did hear from Flame and Air, who updated us for the final time on his Nuzlocke group with Old School Bliss and Aliara. Aliara was successful in the end. Congratulations, sir. Old School Bliss is in second, and Flame is uh, mathematically disqualified. He has not yet finished his Nuzlocke, but intends to come hell or high water. Uh, so good job to all of you. Thank you for playing along. And Aliara, congratulations on your victory. Congrats. Congrats. Now, Pegasus also emailed us about his Generation 1 series with Patrick. Uh, they have finished their fifth section of gameplay, and Peg is still in the lead, so congratulations, Peg. Uh, actually, since this email was written, uh, Patrick wiped out, so uh, real, real sorry, Pat. That's real unfortunate, my guy. Uh, he's going to attempt to catch up and close the gap, but it's it's definitely uphill from here. The come up, sir. You can do it. We also heard from both community members Zach Likes to Ramble, as well as our good buddy Tom Archer to Trainer Mimic, both of whom are really, really excited for Heart Gold Soul Silver. Uh, thanks, guys. We are very excited to go back to Johto as well. It feels like going home at this point, so we're we're feeling pretty warm about it. And Mess, weren't you actually on a, a recent episode of, of Tom's podcast? I was. I was on Payday. It was a lot of fun. It's a great episode. If you haven't checked out Tom's podcast, Payday, it's on iTunes. It's on all over the place. Definitely go check out their show. Go check out the episode that I'm on where I hang out with Tom and his co-host, Matt. We talk about a bunch of really cool stuff. You can learn a bunch of things about me that you probably didn't know before. And you can listen to me try to play Pokemon 20 Questions, which is a really good time. We've been doing it a lot in our community Discord as well. Because it's really, really fun. But yeah, can't say enough great things about being on the show. It was such a good time. Thank you very much, Tom, for having me on. Very good. Now, we did also get an email from the boy Gardevoir this week letting us know that he has started a Crystal Nuzlocke. So good luck on your own journey through Johto Gardevoir. Uh, now, if you are a proud member of the Blastburn Nation, like Tom, or the Boy Gardevoir, or Pegasus, or Flame, and if you're playing along with us at home, or if you just want to get at us, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, be sure to get at us through email, social media, Discord. Uh, let us know all about how your Nuzlocke run is going, so all of us who are a part of this community can experience your highs and lows right along with you, because at the end of the day, guys, we're all in this together.
Now, guys, it is that time once again, but unfortunately, we have no battles to bring you this week because two-thirds of us have no team to battle. So coming into finale week, uh, Celeste came in in third place for the first time in months, uh, though only by the slimmest of margins. She fought valiantly to climb out of that pit, but ultimately fell just short of that goal. She rests in third place at 790 points. You've had his mind. Messer Engine also failed to finish the gauntlet, but managed to actually slightly extend his points lead over Celeste in the process of wiping out. He rests at 820 points in second place. I, Jolly by Nature, managed to survive the gauntlet, maintain my lead, and I finish our black and white series with 1,290 points in first place as our Generation 5 champion. All right, guys. So that is, that is series five. It is a wrap and, uh, there will be no break, uh, between series five and series six. We will be kicking off our heart gold and soul silver series in two weeks in the next episode of main series Blastburn radio. On that episode, we will discuss our rule set for the new series, draft our starters and versions, and just talk about the games. So get hyped for that. Uh, the gameplay will start immediately after. In the meantime, your boy Jolly will continue streaming his Pokemon White series on Twitch, making my way through the post game. We actually started exploring the post game routes on our last stream last Tuesday, and we are looking forward to continuing, even though it won't be a part of our Blastburn Radio series. Uh, I am aiming for the champion or bust, so come out and show support. Yeah. Yeah, and on that note, of course, we do want you guys to know when we are streaming. Uh, again, it is break week, so our hosts may or may not be streaming at least at the usual times that you'd be expecting. So be sure to keep an eye open for that. Messer Engine, do you intend to stream this week? I don't. I I got a lot of stuff going on in my life right now, you guys. Some of it's pretty heavy, some of it's pretty complicated, and I am just really tired. I definitely apologetically do not have the energy to hop on and be entertaining right now. I'm trying to just conserve some energy so I can jump into series six when it is go time. That is more than fair. Um, again, I will be streaming post game Pokemon White. Uh, I'll be doing so at our, you know, same bat time, same bat station, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, twitch.tv slash jolly by nature. I'm also likely to add a second and maybe even a third night for the next two weeks just to make sure that we do finish the post game. Um, so just kind of keep an eye on your stream announcements and on all your normal, uh, Blastburn radio mediums, Twitter on Discord for the specifics on when exactly I'll be streaming, but definitely on tuesday uh celeste do you intend to stream on on your normal day and time this week it's probably not gonna be the normal day and time this week it might be sporadic if i can find some time and energy to do it i'm gonna be real honest i've been pouring a lot of extra hours into work not because they asked me to but mainly because i'm trying to prove to myself that i can do it yeah and i'd like to see some of the things that i program actually come to light and be used by people it's so it's a really mixed feeling because I'm pouring a lot of extra effort into it, but it should be worth it in the end. So we'll see what I stream and I'm going on a long tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> nope. All good. Again, keep an eye on, on Twitter, on discord, on Twitch, and we'll be sure to let you know when Celeste is going live. If she gets a chance to, regardless, you're going to get some jolly streams this week. So look forward to that. Now, remember guys, we do want to hear from you. We, again, 
Quick reminder, we will not be reading emails on the show on the next episode just for time reasons, but we do always want to hear from you. Um, be sure to get at us uh, by email at blastburnradio at gmail.com or get at the show on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, however you find your Blastburn radios. Uh, now, as always, you can find me personally at BDR Jolly on Twitter. I'm at Celeste Lost. And I'm at Mezzer Engine. And as always, don't forget to check out Mythic Portal Games for all of your online role-playing assets. Uh, supporting Mythic Portal supports Messer Engine, which supports the show, and we really appreciate that. Uh, and be sure to follow the show at Blastburn Radio on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date on what all of our hosts are doing all around the web. Uh, all right, well, that's going to be it for tonight. I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to give a very special thank you, as always, to my co-hosts, Messer Engine and Celeste. For Blastburn Radio, I am Jolly by Nature. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. We'll see you soon, folks. We return the Jetto, and I'm super excited for it.